How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today, we dive into the ever-evolving topic of technology and the impact it is having within the industry. Specifically, how has the concept of telemetry, telehealth, and telemedicine changed the way we work as pre-hospital providers? Where did it come from? What has it done? And more importantly, where is it going? My guest today certainly has a lot of insight into this topic. Kurt Bashford is the CEO of General Devices, an innovative med tech company that specializes in telehealth and telemedicine solutions. Kurt, thanks for hopping on today. For having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, my, 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 how far we have come since the days of the handheld two-way radios from ambulance to ED, huh? And from before that with the, the you know, the heavy app cores and such, if you, if you go back that far. Rampart, rampart, right? You, I mean... You, you bet. <laughs> so, I mean... Kurt, this is like, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time now because I really do believe that technology, you know, drives change. But I also believe that it's driving very strong change in our industry as pre-hospital providers. As we start, maybe give a brief history or description about telehealth and telemedicine from the early days. Sure. So, so, and you can see a lot of these terms just as you laid them out. So I'm glad you did that. Um, you know, if you go back in the early days, you know, we, we called what we did in EMS moving, you know, ECG, you know, single lead, and then ultimately 12 lead, that was telemetry. And right. that, that was born out of the, you know, the Apollo, you know, space age, you know, moving data and tel- called telemetry. And then, and then later on, you know, telemedicine came apart, you know, came about and that's, you know, doing medicine at a distance and, and, you know, kind of the clinical side of it. And then the terminology has more recently gotten broader and morphed into what we call telehealth and it's confusing. And, and as a purist, there's pieces we do, you know, on the clinical side that are really telemedicine, but we're calling it telehealth, but telehealth is kind of that today's catch-all phrase. So yeah, everything from, you know, monitoring, you know, your weight that gets uploaded to your doctor, or your blood pressure, all the way to telemedicine type aspects, you know, but, it, but still all aimed at, you know, remote care at a distance. Yeah. And, and so tell me a little bit and the listener, a little bit of how, how this, how this got, you know, really legs and, and how the physicians started to buy. And it, this was really like mid two thousands where this really started to catch some fire, right? Sure. So, and, and you know, telemedicine, even before that, you know, at, at GD, we were involved in a telehome care project going back to 95 and we were doing what we do today, you know, on, on a telephone line. Um, but it was ahead of its curve, ahead of its time. And, and, you know, the curve wasn't ready yet. Um, and then we did it in, as you said, in early mid two thousands, we, we did the Eagles conference, the live from Garland demonstration with Ray Fowler and Paul Pepe back in 2005. And we were streaming live video and data from a, you know, the brand new Philips MRX monitor at the time, you know, wirelessly from the back of an ambulance back to the conference center. And, Everybody got the concept and, and knew that was the future, but change is hard. And certainly in EMS, change, change is hard. And in medicine, it's, it takes time. Um, so, th- so the concepts were there and known. 
Um, but the technology was still evolving. And as, and as you said, you know, the tech is the enabler. We look at the technology. That's to us, that's, you know, that's what we develop and that's what we design. But that's the tool. You know, you still need the providers and you still need, you know, the carrot, you know, which in some ways is, you know, the dollar, you know, you know, how does, how does it tie in with things like reimbursement? How does it tie in with, you know, where healthcare is going? Um, you know, today we talk about, you know, the phrase, you know, the right care at the right time in the right place. And, and how do we do that? You know, um, we, we know that, you know, f- thanks to some of the thought leaders in EMS, uh, getting the attention of, you know, at the federal level, at the Medicare level, and, and with, um, you know, national insurance payers, that, you know, not every patient really needs to go to the, the hospital and be transported. And, you know, it's not a cost-effective way to do that for the lower acuity cases. So, you know, how do we manage this? And then, you know, programs like ET3, and, and you're looking at what are the drivers for some of this today? Things like treat in place, ET3, where telehealth is a requirement for that. Um, I, I think COVID's a big one. You know, we, we were already into mobile integrated health, community paramedicine, and that was kind of changing, you know, the thinking of, you know, treatment in the home, non-transport. Um, but then COVID came along and the technology was there and, and then we all got forced into it, right? So we're all doing Zoom and, and video chats and, and working remotely. And then we also said, all right, you know what, we need to be able to do some of this, you know, healthcare remotely. So whether it's patients to their private physicians or and even EMS doing it to manage COVID patients remotely, not bring everybody back to the hospital. So all these facets, it's, it's kind of like this, you know, critical mass of all these things starting to come together. I think the tech was there. We already had, you know, back from the days when we did this in mid 2000s, it was in the back of the ambulance, black box computers working over, you know, 3G cellular or mesh Wi-Fi um, you know, bigger computing devices. We didn't have what we have today where we have these powerful mobile devices. We have you know, high-speed broadband. We have things like FirstNet, you know, giving more, you know, first responder, you know, grade broadband. And so all these pieces kind of come together. So now we have the, the tech ability. We ha- and we can now do this, you know, through apps and through a, you know, HIPAA secure, easy-to-use platform that EMS can then use as a technology tool and then apply that with what's the healthcare needs of today. And again, going back to right care, right time, right place. So we can use this to, to manage those patients outside the hospital, in the home, you know, with the, you know, risk reduction and the QA aspects all tying together. So, so it's, it's exciting because it all ties together. And I think we, you know, it got a kick and it got a push from, you know, what's been happening over the last couple of years. And, and then certainly on the reimbursement side, because we, we know, you know, Patient outcomes are important, but reimbursement's important too. And, and what are the finances in this and how does that all come together? So it's it's exciting point where it's at right now. I think it's only going to get better. Yeah. And you bring up a lot of great points and, and one of them being basically it it drives the seamless nature of this. And, and I believe, you know, the, the way I look at it is it, it brings all of these parties that are necessary to providing excellent care for the patient. It brings them all together. Rather than separating these pieces, which is basically what we've functioned as forever, uh, you know, the pre-hospital side or EMS, um, you know, and then bringing it to the ER, it's basically closing that loop 
um, in a sense that you're now having all of these providers have eyes on something or be able to communicate, which is going to cut back on the time necessary to get people treated or treated appropriately um, when you look at it from this way, from a comprehensive standpoint. Exactly. And, and it's not, you know, you know, we drifted and, and the pendulum swings and all these things, right? You know, protocols evolve over time. We, do we use neck collars? Do we not use neck collars? Or do we give this drug? Do we not give this drug? And, and how much, you know, communications, you know, varies too. You know, we got away from some of the, you know, mother may, I, may I, uh, you know, requirements, but now we have the ability to do more. And, and if we're going to not transport a patient, um, or we want to document a refusal or really, I, I like the scenario of, you know, uh, using telehealth or telemedicine to kind of, you know, make sure that they do go to the emergency department for those cases that we know do need to go, um, you know, that, to cover the risk elements, to reduce the cost, because, you know, what's it cost to take a patient to the hospital the, you know, that they're really just using as a, you know, a quick medical call and tying up the ED and think about, you know, what you hear today with uh, EMS, you know, handoff and wall time and tying up that, that crew and that ambulance for can be hours at a time versus being able to treat them, you know, simply in a home with uh, the guidance perhaps of, you know, another healthcare provider and, and the backup and, and the, uh, you know, the, the help on that. So it, it opens up a lot of new front tiers and, you know, allows them, you know, to, to do what needs to be done and let the, let the reimbursement follow that. And that's, that's where the push is right now to make that equitable for everybody. But again, like I said before, it's a change and, and change is hard sometimes. Well, it is. And, and I'm curious, have you seen an uptick in interest um, you know, a significant uptick in interest since COVID has come on the block because obviously cutting back on, you know, the ability to go to the ED and certainly the hesitation by patients to want to go to the ED, you know, factors in, but then it also just becomes a convenience type thing as to, Hey, listen, you know, I don't necessarily have to go to the hospital and this, you know, fee for service model that we've, you know, been entrenched in forever. And, and we realize is not the way that we are going to advance the profession. Um, you know, maybe people are going to start to catch on to this a little bit more. But with that said, you, you run into the, this situation where, hey, listen, these things are cost prohibitive. You know, I mean, depending upon the size of your agency or, or you know, your hospital or depending upon where you are located, you know, as right. far as demographically, sure. you know, these types of things are, are challenging. They are, um, but the, the the models, you know, and, and again, you know the expression EMS. You know, one EMS system. You know, just one EMS system. That's so they're, right. They're all a little bit different, um, but you know, the models that typically go, and this is this is a little bit complicated by our healthcare system in the U.S. Right? If we were in another country and it's a single payer system, you know, you make an improvement in the system. You know, you know, receives that improvement. You know, here, you know, you make an improvement. Well, is it the hospital that's benefiting? Is it the EMS that's benefiting, or is it the insurance company that's or, or Medicare that's that's benefiting? You know, hopefully, there's there's enough pieces in there for everybody so that it's a win-win-win. Um, but but the, some of the models are, and, and we have customers where we're in know, over 500 hospitals connected to thousands of EMS from little ones up to big ones like FDNY and LA County Fire. So all those models vary a little bit. But, you know, a common one is where the hospital, you know, 
purchases the technology and then gives out user licenses to all the EMS that connect to them for free. Because because you know they know that there's enough saving and, and and really cost isn't that high, but they know there's there's benefits for the hospital and sometimes EMS doesn't have you know the pockets to be able to do that and get everybody on board um, to make it equitable for everybody. So you know you know on the sales side you talk about the the WIFM right what's in it for me. So for EMS, what's in it for them? So, you know, they don't want, an, you know, another burden or another piece of technology if it's not going to help them. You know, they know it's good if it's helping the outcomes and helping the patient. And, and certainly EMS is all about that. But there's other aspects. So if there's things, if you can use, you know, the telehealth app and, and say, all right, I'm going to use eBridge and I'm going to send the driver's license scan in there too. So they can pre-register this patient for this patient that I'm going to transport. And maybe that'll help speed up my handoff time and I'm not stuck there so long. Um, I can get, you talked about, you know, the feedback loop, you know, I can get my face sheet or I can get my outcome from that acute care patient. And we brought in earlier today. Um, You know, there's pieces in there for, for EMS, you know, besides, you know, improving outcomes and, you know, speeding time to care. So there's, there's pieces in there for everybody On, on the hospital side. And again, you know, we tend to think of telehealth as video because we were all, you know, that's, you know, the big change. But, you know, there's cases where video is important. There's cases where you don't need video. Maybe it's a, you know, if it's a wound or burn, you know, it could just be a picture. Hmm. It could be a recording of a stroke assessment that you took so that you can forward that. So neurology has that before you get there. You know, it's, it's very var- variable. So having a tool that can do it and adapt it to what you need that makes a difference. So, you know, one, one of the other drivers and what's, you know, what's happening today, we, we hear it and you see the grant money out there for it also is, is rural care right. where you have that longer transport. Now these decisions go, no go transport, don't transport can make bigger differences in, in tying up crews and in patient care and such like that. Um, and, and, and again, getting back to technology in the past, you know, those are the places you needed this tech, but they didn't have broadband right there out in the rural area and didn't have coverage. So interject things like FirstNet in and is, is, you know, LT broadband gets more ubiquitous. You know, now we can make connections in these other locations and, and bring in the distant providers to help make some decisions and, and do some follow-up care and such like this. So it all starts to come together. Yeah. And that's it. I, you know, like you're, you're speaking about this, I'm, and I'm thinking, and I'm like, yeah, it's all these pieces that have to line up. You know what I mean? There's so many factors that go into this, but you know, ultimately, obviously patient care is always number one, right? So there's huge factors that go into this patient care being number one. Right. Uh, reimbursement is obviously right up there with it. But I also look at the, the career field and the career path with this as well. And I've said this all along with, with ET3 and community paramedicine. I think it opens up doors for the provider um, to make them more of clinicians rather than drivers. Um, you know, and as we strive in this industry to become recognized as essential, which isn't saying that we're not, you know, we, we're constantly looking for ways to justify our existence. And, you know, what, what we're, what we're, earning, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say that because it's, it's multifaceted financially and also from a respect perspective, you know, you become more clinicians when you're doing this community-based paramedicine and you're able to triage to home because you're, you're dealing with the patient. You're seeing them on a regular basis. You're, you're, you know, discussing this with clinicians in the hospital. 
I personally feel that it, that it really does open doors. I, I, I agree with you. And in fact, it's interesting you brought that up because I, I read a, a short study that was you know published this past week um uh, you know john washko was involved and some others where they they kind of coined a term the mobile medicine technician hmm. and they just did a quick study about you know using emts because we, we typically think you know at mih at you know at the paramedic level and that makes a lot of sense for the more complex case but often you know you really need somebody to be the eyes and ears and hands as what they're calling you know, a PCP extender. So using, you know, EMTs at that level is these mobile medical technicians that can go into the home and set up the telehealth equipment and, and make the connection to that, you know, primary care, you know, person at the other end and, you know, relay and, and you make that connection. And, and, and I see all that evolving. We even added things like, you know, video language interpretation, because if we're going to be doing this remotely and we have a non-English speaking person, you know, you, you need to be able to bring all these capabilities in together. So you're, I think you're spot on, you know, this is going to change. We, you know, there's, there's different curriculum for mobile integrated healthcare and community paramedicine, right? So, you know, it, it is evolving and the pendulum will swing. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I, I look at it as such a comprehensive type thing that, is, is coming down the pipeline. It's certainly not there yet because there's not, it's not standardized, but there's certainly more interest. And, and I do believe that COVID has driven a lot of this interest. Um, so if there's anything you could say good that has come out of it, maybe it is this, I'm not sure, but you know, I also know that there's a lot of hesitancy and there's a lot of, uh, you know, old school ways of dealing with this, but I do believe that, you know, more, you know, when there's more understood about the reimbursement model, and also just, you know, some of the, the regular regulations as they stand in different states. You know, you're from New Jersey. You understand how this is run. Uh, you know, basic life support, um, you know, it can only operate to a, to a certain scope of practice and, and you can't have ALS providers unless they're hospital based. Right. So, you know, it certainly precludes uh, some industries and some agencies from providing that, you know, ET3 model. Um, you know, that hopefully is going to open up. You know, these types of things are hopefully going to open those things up. It, it is. And you're already seeing them, right? Because there's there's businesses, telehealth businesses, because, you know, a lot came out of the woodwork aimed at, you know, the, the public. But there's aspects that have aimed at, you know, kind of tying in with EMS to provide the telehealth service. Side. So so the field side's one side of it, but you need somebody at the other end to answer the call. You need that physician or nurse practitioner. So there's companies that are popping up, you know, here and there that you hear about. And, you know, the concepts, you know, they're all varied a little bit, but as, as you said, you know, there's complexities with regulation. So, you know, do they have a business in it? Is, is this a, you know, with all these coming in, is this a race to the top or a race to the bottom to see who's going to survive? Um, but, it, but it changes, you know, the thinking. Um, but there is, there is a range. And, and so, like we're working with the, with New York with FDNY and they're going to be rolling out their ET3, you know, program real soon using our tech. They, a conservative estimate, you know, at least 30% of their calls don't need transport. And you think about how the numbers add up on that, the dollars it costs on, you know, personnel and equipment and, and time. And it becomes a no brainer on, on some of these things, even if they didn't get all the reimbursement, it, it, you know, the cost savings may outweigh that. So again, everybody's model's different. And then you got patient care aspects, as, as you said. So, you know, we have a, a great client out of uh, Massachusetts of a Bay State Health. 
And they're using it, you know, for the basic calls, just a quick notification and, and getting feedback, you know, what room they're going to. And that's just an easy one. And, you know, live ETA, so the hospital knows when they're going to show up. All the way up to managing acute care patients, time-sensitive acute care. So, you know, your strokes, your STEMIs, your traumas, your sepsis. So they, they had one that they, they published. And actually, they had a speaking conference at EMS World last year on it. They had a patient, and this is common with them. Um, they were it was a, a STEMI. They were about I think a thirty three minute transport time. So they started you know the telehealth communications, activating with with the ED, notifying upstream. Get they got the patient registered. They had the uh, STEMI coordinator and the STEMI team engaged, all looking at live ETAs, cath cath lab notified. I think they even had, you know, getting TPA ready. Um, when they arrived, backed into the bay, they were all ready because they all were had this team com- communications going. They had a 15-minute door-to-balloon time. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and those are legitimate changes. And, and right. And now that that's a process change. But you had right. champ- champions there that drove that process change. And then you get the results like that. And then that opens up the eyes that, yeah, this makes sense. So, so me, you know, selling, you know, technology, you know, I'm, I'm a vendor and, and yeah, the tech is cool, but it's really, what are the outcomes and what are the results of using it? What's possible? What can we do differently? And, and whether it be cost savings, risk reduction, or, you know, hopefully uh, outcome, you know, outcome improvements and, and all the above, then it all starts to come together. I think that really sums it up, Kurt, in a sense that, you know, you could take this and you can apply it however you want, but it can serve right, you know, from the basic level all the way to the advanced level to the at-home level. There's so many ways to integrate this into our industry. So absolutely. Kurt, I really do appreciate you coming on and, and giving your perspective on how technology is reshaping the way we deliver healthcare and specifically in the pre-hospital setting. I appreciate you having me. Happy to share anytime. Awesome, Kurt. Thank you. And a friendly reminder that EMS World Expo 2022 is in beautiful Orlando, Florida, October 10th to the 14th. So mark your calendars. Expo is a can't-miss event. And thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for more great episodes coming up. I'm Mike McCabe. Talk soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 